shot deals. Yeah. Okay, now I'm in the spot where I wanna be. Money spent, niggas getting bent, chicks in front of me. Just the way Yes, people. It is that time again. Echoes from the boy. That's right, baby. Ha <laughs> I man, it's like episode seven. So they're racking up. You know, it, this episode is going to be a long episode. Um, we're just covering one film, but I got time to uh, sit down with the director. So we're going to bring you all of that. But, you know, as usual, we're going to hit you with the top 10 from the weekend of the 30th of November to the 2nd of December. At number 10, A Star Is Born. Still doing its thing The same with Widows at number 9 At number 8 Is Robin Hood So um, Oh man Will it be in the top 10 next week Who knows But I doubt it At number 7 We've got Nativity Rocks At number 6 2.0 At number 5 We have Bohemian Rhapsody at number four, we got The Grinch. At number three, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grimwald. At number two, we got Creed 2. And at number one, Smashing It, Killing It, and Breaking It All Up. You got Ralph Breaks the Internet. Yup. Okay. So. What we're going to do, we've got a, um, a review of um, a film called Tides. And then I'm going to bring you an interview with the director, Tupac Filber. And um, yeah, I've, I've literally just got home from doing the interview. It was a lot of fun. Um, he's a great dude. He's got a great film. Um, so yeah. Listen to everything, man, because you will enjoy it. Trust me. All right? Okay, let's go. Okay, so I have just watched the new and first film from director Tupac Felber. It's called Tides. It's um 98 minutes long. And it was produced by Felba, Samantha Chidi, Emil Jolfri, and Camelia Christine Hodel. It's executive produced by Dominic Dromgood. Um, and it was written by Felba, John Foster, Robin Isaac. Simon Meacock and Jamie Rabari. Um, <clears throat> and it's starring uh, John Foster, Robin Isaac, Simon Meacock, and Jamie Zabari. Okay, so the film is. About four old friends who navigate birth, love, death, and the canals of southern England, fueled by booze, drugs, 
and the stunning beauty of nature, the increasingly intimate reunion becomes an uplifting meditation on what it means to be middle-aged in a world that refuses to grow old. And um, the, the film was also screened at the London Film Festival in 2017. Okay, so, yeah, I think the film is essentially about friends taking a break on the river. <laughs> you could say it's like a modern day watershed, um, no, wind in the willows. <laughs> but no, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's the four friends taking a trip. And the film kind of like you, you you join the film at the very beginning and I mean at the very beginning they're like booking you see them like booking the boat you know paying for the boat um learning how to use the boat and everything like that and at first uh, I was a bit like wait why are we seeing this but then you you think about like the trips you've taken, and it all kind of like, yeah, 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 no, I remember it, it's just like, yo, and we had to go and book, and it was all crazy, and and, and so it all, you know, it makes sense, and you're like, yeah, no, 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 it had to start there, of course it had to start there, so we're seeing them, you know, we're doing this, and then they're buying, like, groceries, and they're trying to work out, like, the finances of the whole thing, you know, like, all right, so we're staying this amount of nights, thinking they're only staying one night, so how do we charge them, like, what do we do, blah, blah, blah. and that, yeah, this is, like, I, I, I used to go on surfing trips, and these were the conversations, because it'd be like, all right, so we're all staying for the week, and the thingy is coming for like three days. So it's like, all right, so what What are they going to, how did they pay? So you're kind of thinking of this. And, and so the film, you know, it, it seems perfect like that. Because it just remember, reminds you of like things that you've done in the past. Like the film's also in black and white. And... At the beginning, it's just like, wait, why is the film in black and white? But then as it goes on, like that seems the perfect way to um, view it. Because there's no distractions now. All you're doing, it, you're paying attention to um, all the nuances of the conversation. Or, 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 or people's interactions. And... Like that is it 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 it's giving a, a clarity to the story to the film. So if we had color, if we're seeing green trees and yellow flowers and you know it's like blue skies, we we would be distracted from you know the important stuff. And that is the friendship. 
apes, you know. That's what we need to be paying attention to. And Felber does a great job of showing that because we're having all types of conversation and it's natural conversation that we have, you know, between us. Because it's just like, look, there's, there's programs like This Is Us and... Like the the guy that made that, he made a film that um, I think it was the story of life. I I think that's what it was. It showed at the London Film Festival, and the problem I have with with he his stuff is people don't talk naturally. It's like everyone is making a a a statement. They've all got you know, this declaration to make, and so they're talking in these declarations, rather than a proper flowing conversation, but with this, Felber is showing us proper human interaction, the way that we talk with friends, those insecurities that we have, you know, and and those, the ridiculous nature of things like red is sitting with everyone laughing and then she like suddenly takes offense to something and it's just like wait fuck you i'm you know what fuck you i'm going outside and then it's just like oh no 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 no. i'm not angry i'm not angry but fuck you you're a prick and he's like obviously you're angry but it's that whole no i'm fine look don't follow me, wait, why aren't you following me, you know, it's that whole thing that people do, and, like, yeah, a lot of times you watch these programs, and it's not really depicted, it's all, oh, I'm frightfully sorry, uh, I was just wondering, can I use the last marmalade on my crumpet, oh, well, thank you, sir, that's marvellous, you know, it's these stilted, weird conversations, and and this had a real natural flow and cadence to it, and, yeah, that was perfect for the story, you know, and it really helps with the engagement, you know, because you, you watch it, And you're like, yes, that reminds me of me. That reminds me of me and my friends. And so you connect with the film and you're really watching the film rather than, you know, you're just viewing it from afar, you know. Um, So, yeah, it's, you know, it's got this really nice flow to it. And it's not pushing every anything on you you know it hasn't got these weird agendas it's not got you know like a rainbow cast and you know the these these kind of manifestos that it's trying to abide by it's just you know it's the cast that was right for the film it's the story that's right for the film, and it just works, you know, I was, I was wondering how the shots were done, because 
Yo, these are narrow boats, man. You know, these canals, uh, these, these canals, they're not wide, they're not huge. So these boats are narrow. And it's just like, how the hell are they getting all these kind of shots? You know, if, if they're, you know what I mean? If they're shooting on the boat, this is insane. But yeah, you've got these really nice shots and everything like that. Some great camera work here. Uh, um, yeah, it, it was. And you know, another thing that I liked, it was, look, the score is very subtle. And it works really well because of that. Because, you know, you, you don't have this music that's overpowering or taking you out of, like, the conversations and stuff. It, like it always comes in at the right moment and at the right levels, so it's um you know what I mean it's not gonna distract you from anything, and it just helps build a scene, you know. So it 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 just yeah it works really well. So um yeah, I would definitely say. Go see Tides because it's a breath of fresh air. It's it's not trying to be anything else, you know. Because like you have all these British films that come out and they're trying to be the next snatch, they're trying to be the next lock stock. No, but this isn't doing that. It, it's it's found its own little niche, and it's just it's just doing it, and so that's great. So I I would I would definitely say look if you like films like the Before trilogy by Richard Linklater, you know it's got um Ethan Hawke and Julie Delphi in it. If you like those films, you'll like this. Because it's like this this story that is more about the characters. It's more about the interactions than anything else. You know, there's not this huge piece that's got like, you know, it's got the beginning, the middle, the end and... Like this happens and this beat happens and blah 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 blah. No, it doesn't do that. It's just following the characters and they're leading us on this journey. That's it. So yeah, if you enjoy those kind of films, that those that indie mindset, you will definitely like this. And you know, it's not got a huge release. So I'd say, yo, go and see it now. Otherwise, you won't get a chance to see it on the big screen. Okay? So, yeah, enjoy. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed the review. Um, and now, luckily, I had a, an opportunity to sit down with the director, um, Tupac Felber. Uh, so... I'm going to bring you now our interview that we had um, this evening. Uh, it was it was crazy. We we're in a pub, uh, 
and we would we 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 were we were bouncing around trying to find a quiet place to do this and then we found a room um and then suddenly loads of people came in to play pool then we we're like all right let's just do it outside we went outside which was empty and then suddenly loads of people came out to smoke and so it's just like we went back in then it got noisy again and it's just like ah so finally we we were able to um yeah find a, a, a moment when everyone disappeared uh and yeah we, we um sat down did the interview we have a few people coming in and out and stuff like that but i think the sound is fine um so yeah i hope you enjoy it uh so this is me having a great conversation with tupac felber so enjoy okay people i'm here with tupac felber the director of tides and um yeah we're just chilling in a brixton pub and we're gonna talk about yeah the film and how it all came together so tupac thank you very much for um yeah coming and then doing this i appreciate it oh thanks so much for meeting me all the way out here man i really appreciate you taking an interest <laughs> <laughs> no it's like i i watched the film the other day and i really enjoyed it and it was i don't know i think when it first came on i was like oh it's black and white huh i wonder why it's black and white but then literally straight away it didn't even matter and you kind of felt yeah i don't think i could it would be the same in color and, and you know what i mean so it's just like how did those choices come together? Interesting question. A lot of people have asked me, and I've yet to come up with a very concise answer to that. Um, I, it's one of those questions that has various answers, basically. Um, artistically, I think it's because I grew up on black and white movies. Like, I was, my mum is a movie nut, and we. I spent a lot of my childhood watching black and white movies on terrestrial TV, which kind of gives away my age a little bit. Then when I kind of got old enough to understand how movies were made, got into directors that I liked and stuff like that, I think there were a lot of guys, or I guess I would consider my guys now, who, who made their first movies in black and white. Like, I'm thinking, I mean, we were talking about Spike Lee earlier. She's got to have it. Yeah, Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith-Clark's yeah. following, Chris Nolan, yeah. Darren Aronofsky's Pie was a big one for okay. me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, Down By Law. There's a load of these guys who, you know, in the age of color, made an artistic choice to make their first movie. And I think I... I've been wanting to make my first movie for a long time now. And I think romantically, I always hoped that I would make my first movie in black and white, which brings me on to the practical level of this, because I felt that this movie should be in color. It's, the, it's you know, one of the resources I had at hand was this beautiful background, this, you know, this beautiful scenery, my set, essentially, and I felt like we need to capture this. 
And I had an ongoing conversation with my director of photography who basically convinced me that if we were going to shoot at the rate that we wanted to shoot, so we shot pretty much constantly for three days. We had 17 hours of footage, which we shot over three days. Like we, the car slept a little bit. We slept less than that. And when you're shooting digital, you have to light it if you're going to do it in color, because otherwise it just looks like video. So on a practical level, there was that. And there was still an ongoing argument, discussion, whatever you want to call it. I remember it one way. He probably remembers it another way. Um, And he had built this lens, especially to shoot this movie, which was he'd taken parts from 1960s movie cameras and built this lens, and he showed me some tests. And at which point I was like, okay, sold. This We'll shoot in black and white. We'll be able to shoot faster. It's going to look beautiful. And then, retrospectively, I kind of feel like because this film is about storytelling in a lot of ways, and it's so, you know, I was going for such a realistic feel, the fact that it's black and white allows you to ingest it as a movie in a way that it might not have been if it looked more like life, if that makes any sense. Like, color looks like life. Black and white looks like movies, to me. Well, yeah, I, I kind of feel that if it was in color, it may have distracted you from some of the stuff that was going on, because it's very intimate. And, like, you know, it's the nuances in the interactions. And that's really what, kind of means more with this film yeah. rather than, you know what I mean, seeing the colour of a flower or, or, or the sky or the tree, you know what I mean? So it's like you then get to a point where like the colour is coming from the script, the interaction. Yeah, that's that's what kind of lights the film yeah, up. Yeah. No, I think that's a really nice way of putting it. And I think that, you know, you do these things and you don't know until you don't even know when you finished it what it is that you've got in your hands and for me it wasn't until I saw it in a room full of strangers that I was like okay this is I I knew it was a movie but I wasn't sure what kind of movie it was Mm -hmm. and it was at that moment that I realised that you know we made a lot of really good stroke lucky decisions when we put this together because it w- we made it in a very odd way you know we kind of wrote it in the edit you know in a lot of ways it was made backwards we shot we shot 17 hours i knew what was going to happen but i wasn't sure how it was going to play out because there was such a level of improvisation in terms of how we did it how i developed it with the actors and um yeah it's an odd one. I, th- I think it's, that's probably the case with anything that one creates. You don't know until, you know, you put it out there, it gets a life of its own, at which point you recognize the form of it and what it is, you know, its essence. Yeah, I, I guess especially in the very beginning as well, because although you know, you've kind of ingested film, 
but you don't know quite yet what your voice and interpretation of it is gonna be. So it's not until you do it a few times that you go, oh, this is my voice, this is who I am kind of thing. I like to think of it like that. I mean, I, you know, I think, I think I, 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 for many years I've had an illusion that an artist goes into any piece of work knowing exactly what it is that he wants the outcome to be. I don't believe that anymore. I think that there is a, there's a, there's a, a, a group of people that maybe are termed geniuses who have that level of control over whatever they do. But I think most people, it's a development. And um, there's a lot of mistakes involved. There's a lot of learning involved. And as you say, you don't know what it is until after you've done it. And you hope that it comes out well. And um, I can only judge by the reaction that we're getting that, you know, I think it has. Yeah, so what has that reaction been? Like, where has the movie, like, um, kind of played so far? It played at the London Film Festival in um, 2017. And at which point, yeah, the, I mean, the, re the, the reactions were not anything that I'd expected. I mean, on the one hand, the reviews and the fact that I was approached in the lobby after the premiere by AX1, the distributors, saying, we love this, we want to put it out in cinemas, which was, you know, not my plan. You can't plan for that. <laughs> But also the audience's reaction. Like, I had, a, obviously, people have liked it, but it was the, there was one guy who came up to me, we had two showings at the second showing, and he came up to me in tears, and he, was, he told me that he'd lost his father two years ago, and had not really been able to verbalize how he felt about it and whilst this film doesn't it makes you know it purposefully does not come to any conclusions about anything mm. that was my that was my point that that's the way life is you know there are no resolutions and there yes. is no point to it um he it made him feel a certain way which mm. was the only purpose that i had in making this thing was to make people feel a certain way. I wasn't trying to tell them anything. Yeah. Because that's why, you know, I f before I even began developing it, I threw out the concept of a traditional narrative that it will, you know, we will set up these issues, these goals, these obstacles, and we will resolve them like A, B, and C, like this. And we, I did not want, that was kind of the mantra. No resolutions. And, um, it's, it seems to have touched people in a certain way, which I think is interesting. Well, yeah, I think that was one thing that kind of struck me. Like, how did you kind of put this together? Like, how did you kind of conceive the scenes and the narrative of the film? Because I wondered, like, was this, you know, kind of, ablibbed like how much was scripted how much was on the fly because i think when you're watching it you're like at, at first you're like oh they're in a shop 
they're like, oh, they're like, oh, they're buying the boat, like renting the boat at the beginning, and then you're like, ha, yeah, I remember the holiday I went on, and we were like, and it kind of touches the everyday sensibilities, the the kind of interactions that we have, and that's where it works so well. I felt. Yeah, I mean, in answer to your question as to how this was put together, it's a real mixed bag. I, my background is in writing. I mean, in terms of my film career, which is non-existent up until this point, <laughs> has been writing scripts in a traditional manner, having a couple of them garner a little bit of heat you know to the point where i've had producers who've been like we'll raise the money mm. got to contract stage once then there was another script that almost took off so um the structure of this film was built in a very traditional manner cards on a cards on a board three acts um story beats all of that stuff mm. Uh, and that was based on a personal experience. So in that sense, it's very autobiographical. And um, from that point onwards, it became much more of a collaborative effort. I included the cast into the creative process. So um, I would explain... I. I realized that I needed certain character characters to populate this story. Mm -hmm. And they weren't going to be the characters that had been on the trip that I'd been, because I'd been on I had been on that very same trip. Right. So right. um every just a little backstory, like every year me and some friends go on a canal barging holiday. Oh, shit. Okay. And every year someone's like, someone should make a film on a canal barge and it should be a zombie film or it should be a sci-fi film <laughs> or it should be a, you know, a, a, a murder mystery. Mm -hmm. We went on this trip, which is pretty much, it's where you see in that film. Like okay. it happened in those places. And um, I thought to myself, this is the film. This, this trip where a friend of ours had suffered a loss and you know there were these dynamics and the things that you saw happened where they happened that was going to be the film but i was i didn't want it to be about my friends i didn't want it mm. just to be you know an autobiographical this is what happened to me yeah, yeah um so we explored with each of the characters what they could represent that would create a, a, an interesting um combination that would be watchable basically, you know, so it was a long period of development, finding out what each of the actors was interested in, and then I would write around that. Then I, you know, by the end, it was like, John represents life and death, Red represents love, Zuby represents soul, and Simon represents work. Mm, and, mm, mm. you know, then uh, there I felt, that, you know, we, we could have a little bit of narrative around building who these people were. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. That that's yeah, because you you wonder like, you know what I mean, how how much voice you gave the character and how much they gave the character. The reason 
I gave them writing credits is because it was a real collaboration on that, uh, from, that, from that perspective. I mean, film is always a collaboration, right? But this was um, very much like they brought a lot of themselves to this film, mm. which I think comes through. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, no, definitely. You kind of, yeah, there, there's, there's definitely characters. It's not just one dimensional. You kind of get that sense of, you know, more from them. Yeah. So that's like, how did you pick them? How did you pick who was going to be in the film? I've known John and Red for a while we've done little shorts together and worked on little projects and I knew that the, their group dynamic had to be believable mm-hmm. the thing would succeed or fail based on how believable that was and so John John knew Zuby and John knew Simon independently from any of us and independently of either of them they didn't know each other and we basically spent a year getting to know each other. Like, I, me getting to know them, building their characters, deciding what, it, what parts of their characters we would turn into the movie's personas and how the, you know, where those things would clash. And we, so that was something that I would do with them individually. And then once a week or once every fortnight, we would go out and drink. <laughs> and after a year of doing that you get to know each other quite well <laughs> nice <laughs> like I was kind of like how did you film on a friggin boat that was like was yeah the narrow boats it's yeah, in the yeah, name so I'm like how did you get that scene like you know what I mean when there's on the tiller and blah, 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 and it's really kind of in a close-up on kind of things can I tell you man the Paul O'Callaghan is a don <laughs> and technology now allows these cameras aren't that big and he was working on the fly. You know, we were making choices as we went. We knew what we needed. Mm. But as the thing unfolded, um, we had, you know, we'd planned out that you, there's not that many different angles that you get on the inside. So, you know, if you watch it, you'll realize that actually we, that there's only two or three scenes that happen on the inside because yeah. we wanted to keep that feeling a little bit interesting. Like the... I made a real point to not give you the geography of the boat till, you know, till mm. about a third of the way through to make that, you know, so, so, so that became something of a curiosity of like, how does this thing work? Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. basically, man, there's, there is consciously not a lot of story in this film because I, I have feelings about the way stories are told and the types of stories that we tell these days that I kind of feel storytelling cinema have kind of hit a dead end in terms of the stories that we tell each other now are they're from another time and we live in a and stories are used to explain the world you know that's their purpose mm. and I feel that the stories that we tell each other now aren't useful 
anymore. So I'm interested in exploring new ways of telling stories and new stories to tell. Um, so I had to grab hold of as many different arcs as I possibly could. It was like the geography of the boat. Let's not give that away immediately. These guys, I'm not going to let these guys get on a boat before we shoot because I want you to see them get better at it because there's an arc, there'll be an arc to that. That anywhere I could find a little bit of progress because, you know, that's, I, I don't think you can discard that entirely from mm. cinema. You no no that. exposition. Yeah, I, I think you get that. Yeah. Like, when, when they're getting on a boat, he's like, oh, how do we do it? Uh, does one get on here and one there? Oh, um, oh, I'm a bit worried about this. And, and, and it's just like, you're like, oh, that is really well done. So, yeah, I, I think it might it's have been, career. yeah, I think that might have been different if they'd already been on the boat numerous times and they're like, oh, okay, um, my inspiration is like, three, two, one. Huh, how do I get onto the boat? Hmm. Yeah, it would have been a completely different scene if it was kind of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was a, a great choice. That, yeah, that, I think that, was, that really worked. Yeah, I mean, it's these, it's these human things that we all recognize, isn't it? And it's that fear... Which is, a, you know, it's, it's, it's not a large, it's not a fear of an alien invasion. It's a little fear, <laughs> but it comes through because what you're seeing there is someone genuinely being scared that they're going to not be able to do this or screw it, you know, or, or crash this boat into something. But by the end of it, they're, do, they're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, and I, and I think there's a lot of stuff that is, yeah, as you said, like kept back. Like at the beginning of the film you're wondering, oh, oh, just had to quickly stop. Um, yeah, a lot of people walking through this room, but it's fine. But um, yes, I've, I think, um, yeah, when I was first watching the film, it was a bit like, because you got a sense of something has gone down and it's just like, oh, well, I wonder what, like, did they all have an argument? Like, oh, and then it's like, oh, did John, was he doing a thing with Red? It's like, and there's all these things. It's like, right, what is the thing? What is the thing? When are they going to tell you the thing? <laughs> and then, it, like, it comes out at a moment when you're just not expecting it. And that was just like, and you're, you know, that was some of the things that, I, you know, really spoke of the film because that's life like sometimes you'll be talking and suddenly you break down and it's just like fuck you know what I mean where, where did that fucking come from yeah. and so that was the great thing about I think that bit at the end when it's and then it wasn't overplayed it was just like oh yeah oh you know what no fuck it let's just and yeah and there was no Tell us about your dad. You know what I mean? It was, it was just like, it, it just breathed on its own. What's been, I mean, going back to your earlier question about what's the response been, it's been massively varied. And what's been really interesting is that my goal with this was always to... I feel that modern cinema... Like we, we've lived with cinema for over 100 years now. We know the score, mm. you know? It, it tends to be nowadays you can go into a film, 
watch it for seven minutes and you pretty much know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> and I think the more interesting films these days are, uh, they involve the audience in the storytelling a lot more. They, you know, they, in, they allow the audience to be complicit in what the story is. Mm. And what's been interesting as that experiment is that the variation in stories that people have walked away with, like totally differing things. Like I've heard things from Zuby and Red are having an affair. I've heard John and Red had a child who died. <laughs> and people have walked, you know, th th because, which I, th you know, which I think is great. Mm. I love mm. that. I love that, you know, people have um, interpreted it in such different ways because this, because we interpret people in different ways, don't we? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, that the diversity in that has been really, for want of a better word, successful. And the flip side of that is, well, not, not the flip side, actually, but the, the other side of that is that, critically, it's been, you know, it's been one to two stars or four to five stars. Mm. Like, it's either been like, why didn't they tell us what it was all about? And, you know, they, they set all this, this stuff up but never resolved it. Like, that's lazy storytelling. And on the other side, it is, this is interesting. It's new. Like, it's fresh that someone's not doing that stuff. Yeah. And um, so it's not for everyone, this movie. Uh, but, and yet everyone seems to have been taken away something totally different from it, which I think is great. Well, I, I think that is what storytelling is. You know, like, it creates a reaction and an interpretation. Uh, you know what I mean? So as long as someone walks away with a, a, a reaction to it or a, an interpretation of it, that's the thing. It's just like when some people walk away with nothing. That's where the problem is. But it's, I think some of the reaction is because we're so used to a beginning and an end. Yeah. You know what I mean? Some clear-cut storytelling. But some of my favourite films, like I love Linklater's The Before Trilogy. And those films don't really have a clear, you know what I mean, story, a proper beginning and a proper end. They're just kind of open-ended. Like, oh, will they meet up again? It's like, we don't know. And it's kind of like that. But, they weren't smashes at the box office. No. And I think and that... They weren't everyone's cup of tea either. A lot of people did not like those films. I mean, I don't think that... Well, even the third one didn't do amazing business, but it got an, it, it got an audience, didn't it? It got a, you know, a group of people really got into those things. But it remained indie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely indie. But yeah. it's because people don't have souls. That's why I'm saying it. Because they're great films. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, and there, it's, it's that era. You know, it starts in that era of cinema that people are toying around with this idea that maybe we should be telling stories. Like, Linklater is a good example. Um, people have been doing it for longer than that. Like, Killer of Sheep, I don't know if you know that movie. No. Charles Burnett. 
big influence for this movie. It's just a bunch of scenes about this guy who works in a place where they kill sheep for, 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 for food, a slaughterhouse, yeah. And you couldn't really say it was a narrative, but you really get to know those people. And then latterly, in a much more kind of sophisticated way, I guess, like people like Hanukkah and... Aronofsky as well. I, I, have you seen? Did you see Mother? No, I, I, I never got round to that one. I mean, that film makes. I'm not going to say it doesn't make any sense because it does. But I watched it with a friend, and at the end of it, we both loved it. But for him, he was convinced that film is about the ecology, the, the about ecology, and I was like, no, that film is about artists. That film is about what it means to be an artist. And I don't think either of us were wrong. I latterly heard a podcast with Aronofsky where he said it was both of those things and more. Mm. Sometimes you watch a movie and you're like, I'm so glad I don't understand. He's so much smarter than me. Mm. Like, I'm mm. never going to understand everything that that film is about. Yeah. Which well, I'm not suggesting this is one of those yeah. films, by the way. <laughs> no, but I, I think sometimes it's good when you don't know everything. Oh, and so it infuriates me when sometimes they're like, oh, we're gonna do a prequel and we're gonna talk about why, blah, blah, blah. It's like with the solo film. I hated the solo film. Honestly. And I hated the fact that um, it was just like, right, we need to show how he got his name. So, um, oh, what's your surname? I don't have one. Oh, so you're traveling solo. It's like. No! Yeah, you just ruined it. Yeah. You just totally ruined it. <laughs> I didn't even realize there was something to ruin there. I hadn't given it any thought, but you've just ruined that thing. <laughs> it was just like, we didn't need to know this information. It's good not to know sometimes. Not, I mean, and especially now, like it's it, it's such, it doesn't gel with the era in which we live, where no one understands anything. Mm. We're yeah. we're so far from, un and uh, maybe this is me just being an old fogey, or maybe <laughs> I'm stupid, or maybe we genuinely are living in strange times where things don't make sense. But I do feel that they used to, at least the movies of the 50s and 40s seem to be from a place where everything was solid. I want to see films that reflect our times and Solo certainly is not one of those. <laughs> Definitely not. But no, I, I think that's right. Look, people can now lose their jobs and careers from hearsay. You know what I mean? It's just like we've got to this weird point where right now you can't say these words now now how if you don't agree with something you're an asshole it's just it's like everything yeah well yeah now now everyone's a nazi and it's like everything's up on its ear and it's just like what's go it's like when you shut your eyes 
and spin around and then everything's just like oh this is like what's up what's that and that's what it's like it's a it's a, a perpetual feeling of that right now which is crazy yeah honestly but, don't get me started <laughs> really <laughs> i think it's so wrong you know there's a i'm not honestly don't like I'm even slightly concerned about the fact that this is going out to the public and for me to, f that I feel that there's an imposition on the way we say things, the things we're allowed to say. I think there's something distinctly wrong about that. I think that culture as a whole has driven towards us being able to self-express, but already in this sentence, which I've started to say, I'm sure I've offended people. <laughs> No, oh no, that because and I didn't even finish my thought. Yeah, well, the weird thing is, context has now gone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where, like, look, you say something, and it's the context in which you've said it which gives something substance, it gives it power, it gives it voice. Now, that doesn't matter. It's just you said this. So it's open season now, and that's the nuts about everything. Yeah, and the idea of an open, ongoing discussion doesn't seem to be of any interest to anyone. <laughs> like, we will stamp you with whatever the last thing you just said was, and I'm not interested why you said it, or where it came from, or, you know, your, your, what your background was to think that. Mm. Because until we can have ongoing dialogue how are we ever going to come to some kind of peace between us like we don't have to agree with each other and we never have no. so, we'll make, so why should we now <laughs> <coughs> to keep the little powder puff safe but I think that was another thing that I, I enjoyed because the film didn't go the route right now that people are doing where they're like, okay, so we need to have this person in the film, we need to have that person in the film, we need to have that person in the film, right, we need to talk about this subject, we need to do, you know, it didn't do that. That's almost got to the point where it feels cynical now, doesn't it? Oh, so cynical. You're just like, why is that person in the film? Yeah. Like, you don't care about that. <laughs> You're just ticking boxes. And honestly, if you don't care, I'd rather you just didn't talk about it. Mm. Yeah. Because now so we're all being forced to talk about things that don't personally interest us. And that, that what you're talking about, happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. um, but I will admit <laughs> that that was more out of practicality than anything. Man, this film was made on a shoestring. The, guy, the guys that shot it were my... Co I, I um, work as a commercial director. So the guys who shot it, the guys I know, like they're the guy, you know, and I... I and we were going to make a bigger film, but as I told you, we then didn't. So then I came up with this idea and they all loved it and they put their heart and passion and time into it. I mean, the fact it cost us 4,000 pounds cash to make this film. Is that it? Yeah, it cost us the, the food and the drink that you see consumed on screen and the cost of hiring that boat. 
apart from that, everyone gave that. What costs money when you make films are people's wages, mm, mm, mm. and people, you know, everyone funded this movie so, with their time, nice. and because they believed in it, mm, mm, mm. and here we are, you know, and um, so I'm, I'm not, you know, it's not like I went through a huge hard ca casting process and decided <laughs> that I wasn't going to conform to that thing. These were the people I knew. And of the people that I was presented, the few people that I was presented with, this was the mix that I felt would work best. Mm. But it wasn't like, you know, I, I, I didn't have a lot of choice. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of... The, 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 this was a real case of creativity through constraint. Like, I looked at... Which I think, you know, every film is... You look at the resources that you have to hand. And, you know, at the one end, I've got hundreds of millions of dollars, a well-known franchise, any actor that I want, and I'm going to make the very best film I possibly, you know, I'm, mm. I'm going to make the very best. Or, and, and, and at my end, it's like, I've got some money in the bank, I can't spend that much of it, and I, you know, I have a really good group of technical people behind the camera, I know some great, a few great actors that I can put in front of it, and I've got an idea. And I know it can look great, but I've got to work within those constraints. And what film do I make that I can make the best version of with those very few resources that I have at hand? And this is what we came up with. Like, I, I couldn't... I could have made a British gangster movie. I could have... Tr but it just would have been a, a lesser version of something that's been made before. Wait, on a canal boat? A gangster film on a canal boat? I don't know. <laughs> I, we've, I've come up with that idea before. That was one of the many ideas that's been come up with. Gangster hides out on a canal boat. It wouldn't have been any good. <laughs> but you know, that, you know there, there are certain kind... British, British film at the moment makes... A very limited type yeah. number of genres of movie and had I picked any one of those it would have been a lesser version of something that had more resources than I mm. had yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to do things that I thought could be at least different in order to make this worth watching mm. but you know I think sometimes the lack of budget forces creativity and the amount of times you've seen a director who's made a great indie film they get a budget and then it all goes a bit crazy <laughs> and you're just like but where was that spark that made that film and it's just like it seems like you know with the budget like more money more problems you know what I mean as, as Biggie says yeah because they get more money, so there's more people they're accountable to. Yeah. You know, more constraints, more pressure, because they don't want it to flop, because then they're losing the money, and it's just like, yeah, so, you know, I think, yeah, lack of budget, it creates, yeah, I think that a spark. Yeah, there's a purity to that. I mean, uh, I, and I also think that in any, um, I mean, Music's another good example of this, isn't it? That, that you know, any artist's first album, he's been working on that all his life. Mm. The second one, he's probably been working on it for 24 months. Mm. 
Oh yeah, because then yeah, the pressure is. Yeah, so a lot of times they're making the second album while on tour. Yeah. So they haven't got you know the same studio they used to work in. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. But it's just like I like you know I look at the Wu Tang, and those first albums, great. But when they got the money, it all changed. And I think I'd argue that even the second Wu Tang album was a little bit self-indulgent. I really like it. I think it should mm. have only been a single. Uh, uh, I didn't think it needed to be a double. Well, yeah, but that first yeah. Wu Tang album is one of my top five albums of all time. Yeah, no, the, the first one's great. But I think it was. Um, I forget if it was Ghostface or Raekwon talked about it. I think. I, I think. I don't think I just made this up. But they're talking about like you know the first albums we had nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that first uh, thirty six changes we had no, nothing. Like yeah. Has ever sounded like 36 Chambers or will ever sound like 36 Chambers. That is mm. a unique moment in music history for me. Oh, yeah. Well, yes. I mean, they, they definitely tried to replicate it, but they've not been no, able to. Yeah. Wu Tang yeah. Forever sounds like he's got bigger toys. Yes. You know, yeah. the, the, the bass on Wu Tang Forever, I've heard that. In, I mean, it's cool, but it's not that unusual. No. Whereas, you know, we're going off topic here, but 36 Chambers <laughs> sounds like it's made in a dungeon out of rotten wood. And I fucking love that shit. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, it's a great album. And that's the thing. I'm, I'm sure there was... Yeah, there was no budget. They probably had no budget. Yeah. And that's this was what their happened. Shot. Yeah. This was like everything these guys had. And then suddenly that shit blew up. And then... The, who knows, man? Like these people mm. lose them. They literally lose themselves, don't they? Yeah. Some of them don't even make it. Well, yeah, it's like I think Capadonna, after being on these albums, these huge albums, Capadonna at one point was living in a taxi. <laughs> and and it's just like, what the? F How the fuck is he living in a taxi? And, and I, I think it was a point where I think. Some of them didn't know, and like I think Raekwon was like, "Yo, if he had come to me, obviously I would have given him money." Yeah. But he, he, like, I think it was a pride thing, or you know. But it was like, yeah, he's living in a taxi, <laughs> <laughs> which is, but that, but it's the money changed Wu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. It's like money changes people. Yeah. Which is, yeah. But, like, you know, what is next for, for this film? Because, you know, it, 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 it's, yeah, it's going to go out into the world. I mean, it's going it, to make some money. It's not going to make any money. <laughs> <laughs> the best I can hope is that I'll get to make another one at this point. I mean, man. The reaction's been amazing. X1, the distributors, have done an amazing job. And, you know, they're getting it in front of people. People are watching this movie. Mm. People are watching this movie. But it's not for everyone. And it's not going to... It's very British. I mean, I've now got a couple of people in the States who have seen it. And they've reacted really well to it. Which is kind of... Kevin, bottom line, I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I didn't know I'd be here talking to you. <laughs> but um, it's not going to be a hit. Like, I never designed it to do that. Yeah. Not and like I, yeah. you know, I know what this is. Mm, it's a, mm. it's an art house movie in the vein of the type of art house movies I used to love going to see. Uh, tiny little independent cinemas that don't exist anymore. It's the type of art house movie when DVD shops existed. The <laughs> guy behind the counter would be like, "Oh man, you like that?" Wait, we we we, we might need to explain what a DVD is. <laughs> 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 hey, I grew up on fucking Betamax, man. None of that shit. Oh, uh, uh, no, it's just like, and for some reason, we had a Betamax, and I remember you'd go to the video oh, store. Yeah, and so there'd be thousands of videos, and then there's this little shelf with the Betamax on, and it's like Herbie goes bananas, Herbie goes to Figgy, Herbie goes somewhere else, and then you want them, like, oh, so some some of our dinosaurs are missing, like we were, you know what I mean? We watched those films, and then there was nothing else. <laughs> Apparently, they look better than VHS, though. Oh, it was a bit, yeah. No, Betamax was a better format, but the prob- the thing was, VHS made deals with the distributors. Okay. Yeah, so they made deals with the distributors, and so when the films were going out, they went out on VHS rather than Betamax, and that was it. So the, all the deals were made, so Betamax was out in the cold. So that's why Betamax died, even though it was a better format. And I think like the BBC and people like that used it to record and shit. Well, yeah, they used it in actual production. Mm. They did, I should yeah. say. Yeah. But yeah, but no one else. Yeah, yeah. it was insane. Okay, and so you were one of those guys. <laughs> why? Did your dad know about this stuff? No. I think it, yeah, I think it was like a, it, there was a cheap video player and it's like fuck we'll have that you know what I mean that's what it was and so yeah but you know I I had a a bad childhood I I couldn't watch VHS it was criminal criminal (laughs) you know your Herbie films though no but like yes like you know this film isn't gonna make you know, it's not going to knock Wreck-It Ralph off the top t- number one spot, but you, you know, you can see it appearing at the Prince Charles. You know, being on a rotation at the Prince Charles and, and cropping up at the BFI. Um, you know, any places like that. So I, I think it's got a place. You know, like maybe you you, you fling it on Netflix or something. But it, it's oh, that's t- yeah. I mean, that's happened. Like, it's on BFI Player at the moment. And then they've done deals for streaming. It's going to be on iTunes in, I think, late January. But it's it's getting a momentum. Like, this is weird because, like, um, talking to the distributors, the film distribution in this country is in a bit of a state... I'm not going to get into the details and I'm not going to name names, but cinemas are struggling, man. Mm. 
they've got to go for the sure bet. And I'm not saying that they've all loved this film. Some of them have hated it. But even the ones who liked it are like, who's going to come and watch this film? Like, this film hasn't got an audience. Mm. Well, I can choose a film that hasn't yet got an audience, or I can film, choose a film that's got a ready-built audience. I'm going to go for the one who used to have, that already has an audience. You know, that's either a sequel or a remake. Yeah. That I know who's going to come and see it. I think, I think, and maybe again, this is romanticism, there was a time where film exhibitors, not film marketers, but film exhibitors' job was to create audiences around films that they believed in. I don't think that that, maybe that's moved online now. Maybe that's moved online and you Mm. need good advocates and you need the right reviewers, which, you know, we've been really lucky with. We've had some great reviews from people who I wouldn't have expected to really dig this, but they have. So maybe it tends to be like, first weekend you go out, you're out within seven days or less. This film seems to be going the old school route, at least the old school American route, where they would open in two little cities, people would talk about it, then they'd move on to other places, and that's actually beginning to happen with this. Like, we're getting more cinemas who are going to show this so it's not going to be finished mm. like it's opening at new cinemas next week it's not clo- it's closing at the cinemas that it came out last week and we're never going to see it on big screens again it's coming to London it's moving around which is we're all a bit surprised about because we kind of felt that model was dead well it, I, no it's definitely more of a blanket approach now yeah. you know I remember the times we'd have to wait nearly a year to get the film that opened up in America, you know, but now everything's, you know, it's a universal, like, um, distribution. So we're getting it pretty much at the same time, maybe a week later at, at, the, at the most. There's, there's not many films that we've kind of waited months for that have already, that have kind of opened in America. So... You know, but yeah, I think with certain films, like a film like yours, the the drip approach, it works. It works for that film. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be working. I mean, something's happening. I couldn't tell you how far it'll get. And like you say, like Wreck It Ralph is safe. But um, yeah, more people are gonna see this film because it's gonna turn up in more places. At least for the in the short term future, that seems to be what's happening. Mm which um, gives me hope, not so much for my film, but it shows, you know, if people are genuinely interested in things that don't fit in the box, then maybe, um, it's not like people aren't making these films as well, man. I think they're making them less. It's, It's much less frequent that I'll see a film that blows my mind in terms of like I've never seen anything like that before and I talked about Aronofsky's mother but that Aronofsky you know he paid his dues to be allowed to make a film as strange as that Mm. but then the other day I watched a film have you heard of a film called The Fit? No. I highly recommend that film like it is in a similar way not narratively driven at all it's absolutely stunningly beautiful and um, it's about this little girl in a high school in somewhere in the Midwest who's a she does boxing I think she's 12 
she wants to get into dancing. Uh, she, she's intrigued by the dancing, and it's. I think the film. Here we go again. I think the film is about growing up. Right. But I also think it might be about American politics. I think it might be about race in America because it's in a very densely black area of the States. And it's just a very interesting movie. I highly, highly recommend it. And, you know, the reviews have been amazing. It never got a release here. I don't know how it did in the States, but it never got a theatrical here, but it was released by Oscilloscope. So that's The Fit? It's called The Fits. She's a New Yorker. But I, don't, I don't remember the name, though. But I mean, really brilliant, fascinating, and um, yeah, challenging and new. It just felt like it's not that common that I can say, oh, that film's a bit like this and a bit like that. It's a combination of these three things. Mm. I couldn't tell you what, where this film came from. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so films are being made yeah. that are challenging yeah, yeah, yeah. and new and are kind of pushing boundaries and I think less so now I think it's sad I think 10 years ago there was a real movement in the States with films like I mean you, you mentioned Richard Linklater films like Martha Marcy May Marlene I don't know if you saw that there was like the last batch of American independence. Oh, yeah, I remember a film, Beast of a Southern Wild, which I love the film so much. Yes. Like, the cinematography, the acting is incredible, and more people really need to see the damn film. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, for me, that was a groundbreaking movie. That was a movie that, you know, it, and I think in... 20 years time that film will be, will be remembered because there's nothing quite like that movie mm. it's beautiful yeah oh man and strange yeah. and unexplainable mm. and that's what I want from my cinema now because I can just go back and watch old movies if I want to see the same thing again because they tend to be better anyway yeah, yeah. than the than the, um, the the carbon copy of it that they're making now yeah I mean, that, that's it, isn't it? <laughs> well, I think you've aged me. So I've lost my viewership. Thank you. God damn it. <laughs> we were talking about Avengers Infinity War before this, kids. Yeah, it was, it was really hip at the beginning. But we, we weren't taping. So damn it. <laughs> But, you know, I, I think, you know, I think that, that some of the first things that we do, that is our business card. It's a calling card to let people know who we are and our possibility. And I think Tides is a great calling card. So, you know, where can people see it? So you said BFI player? Right now, it's BFI Player. I don't know when this podcast goes out, but... Probably it, tonight. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> That'll be interesting. Um, BFI Player, it's at... I should know the answer to that question. <laughs> it opened at home in Manchester on Friday. I think it's opening Glasgow and Derby this Friday. And then... 
check out the Twitter is Twitter Tides Movie and the AX1 website which is AX1 Entertainment all the details will be on there but the the Tides Movie Twitter is probably the best way, place to find the dates because uh, as I was saying it's changing as, yeah. as time goes by but it'll be on you know it'll it's, we're not doing the one-year lag that big movies do. Like this, this the, the window—it's it's a one-month. Yeah. If we're really lucky, two-month theatrical window for this, cool. and it'll be out the beginning of next year. You'll be able to get it on iTunes. Um, and at the be beginning of next year, you mean like in a couple of weeks, which is just like yeah. damn. <laughs> It'll be on iTunes and some streaming service. I couldn't tell you which one. Okay, well, I'll put the um, I'll put the Twitter and the AX website in the description of this episode. So yeah, but but yeah, no, I loved the film. I I, I thought you know I enjoy, I like the fact that it wasn't you know it was open ended. That's I I thoroughly enjoyed that. I liked. Like the characterizations, you know what I mean? Because everything, you know, I mean, you knew people like that, you know, like Red, and the way she'd be like, you know, laughing, then wait, wait, what? I'm going outside, fuck you, fuck you. No, I'm sorry, I love you guys, I love you guys, fuck you, fuck you. No, I love you, sorry, I've drunk too much, oh no, but I love you, okay, I'm going to bed. And you're like, wait, what the fuck? And then in the morning, it's just like, hey, who's going to make me a coffee? It's like, what the fuck, man? You know what you do for a river last night? And yeah, and so, like, you know people like that. So when you see that, and it's the way the, the conversations flowed and everything, it was very, na- that's what seemed natural. So, you know, the, the film is great. I, I, I hope people... I hope people watch it. So it's BFI Player. You know what I mean? Follow the Twitter, Tides Movie, for where it's going to be playing. And, um, yo, what, what's next for you, man? Who the fuck knows, man? I've got, I've, I've got a few things on the boil. You know, I've got, as I said, that I've been trying to get these. There were two movies before that I almost got off the ground. So one of those is still interesting to me. The other one... I've kind of scrapped it because it would have been, it was, I got really into writing that when I, when this, after this came out and then I realized it's covering a lot of the same ground. So to cover my ass, I'm trying to raise money, get, you know, traditional finance to do a next bigger movie, but I'm also writing another movie that I can make like this. If I've just got to make shit, man. It's just, you know, it's just in my, in my person that I need I'm someone who just has to be doing stuff. So one way or another, there will be another one. And either it will be by the grace of someone who's seen this and feels like there's a future in it, or I will do it with a group of people who believe that, you know, that we're doing something worthwhile. Cool. And, and if, like, if people followed your Twitter, are they going to be able to follow the progress of anything that might happen? If I got a movie funded, that would probably end up on my Twitter. <laughs> 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 find 
find a moment to let the world know and get excited about. I mean, my, my, my Twitter's mostly just movie reviews, to be honest. It's not very interesting. I just, whenever I see something that I think is amazing, I feel the need to tell the world about it, even though I think I've only got like 150 followers or something like that, but got to get out there. <laughs> That's all good. That's all good. All right, well, you know what? It, it, it's been great talking with you. Um, I really appreciate yeah, <laughs> they ain't nothing to fuck with, man. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time, and yeah, really enjoyed the film. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you. People, go watch Tides. Okay, people, I'm gonna let you in to um, something that's gonna be a big help. Because we're coming up to Christmas, unfortunately. And the biggest thing about Christmas is the shopping for food. Because it's insane. Everyone goes crazy. It's difficult sometimes to find what you want. So, I'm going to give you a little tip that will make this so simple. So simple. Alright, so the thing is... HelloFresh are doing a Christmas box, okay? So, in the Christmas box, you can get a butter-based turkey with fresh rosemary and lemon, pigs in blankets, so it's pork sausages wrapped in streaky bacon, roast potatoes, with a rosemary seasoning, balsamic Brussels sprouts, yeah, sounds good, with cranberries, pecans, and pancetta, how tasty does that sound, truffle root vegetables, with cheese, garlic, and thyme, seasonal stuffing, pork cranberry stuffing balls, Slow-cooked spiced red cabbage with bramley apple and cinnamon. Now, I've made red cabbage with apple and it is so good. So, that will be amazing. And then festive gravy, a rich and delicious gravy. And um, you can also add a cheese platter with, um, yeah... You know, uh, charcoal crackers, quince chutney, and a whole load of uh, cheese. So they do that box. They also do a box with a dessert. And the dessert is luxury Christmas pudding with brandy, butter, caramel sauce. Talk about decadent, right? And... The box comes in four different sizes. So you can get it for four people, six people, eight people, or ten people. Which is pretty damn good. Alright, so I'll give you the figures too, man. So for four people, it works out $19.99 per person. For six people... It's £16.66 per person. For eight, it's 
£15.62 per person. And for 10, it's £14.49 per person. So that really makes Christmas meal really affordable. But I'm going to give you a code that will give you 10% off that box. Don't tell me I do nothing for you, people. So all you have to do is in the checkout, enter the code Kevin Christmas, and that will give you 10% off your Christmas box at HelloFresh. So I'll put this in the episode description, but yeah, it's Kevin Christmas. Boom. Nice. I've just saved Christmas for you. You're welcome. Okay, people. You know what I mean? That I think that was a great interview, right? Okay, so um there was the Hello Fresh offer, and so now we're gonna end it with some some film news. Alright, so Netflix yeah, like recently they they made the deal with Paramount and um from that deal, you know, they they've acquired some new films for the for their streaming service. Um <clears throat> so the, this will be like all hitting next year. Uh so they picked up um a film called Ellie uh, the story begins when a young boy undergoes treatment for a rare disease. A secluded clinic soon becomes haunted prison with no way out. So, um, yeah, and it's starring Lily Taylor, Kelly Riley, and Sadie Sink. Um... They've also picked up a film called See You Yesterday. Um, and this is from um, Spike Lee and first-time writer-director Steph, Stefan Bristol. The film follows two science prodigies, CJ and Sebastian, who build a makeshift time machine to save CJ's brother, from being wrongfully killed by a police officer. So, yeah. There you go with that. More interesting times for Netflix. Um, so, you know, the one of the big films this year was Crazy Rich Asians. And, um, you know, it was already announced that they were going to make the sequels to it. So, <clears throat> now, um, producers Nina Jacobson and Brad Simpson have revealed that they will be making the sequels back-to-back um, because, you know, it's going to be hard to tie down all the actors and the director and, and everything like that. So, yeah, they're, they're going to... Um, uh, John Chu is currently working on another film 
Um, so they're going to wait for him to finish that. And then he's going to go straight in to doing um, the two follow-ups, which are China, Rich Girlfriend, and Rich People Problems. So, yeah, like, nothing's been confirmed about, uh, like, who's going to be coming back for the film other than John Chu to direct. But it's assuming that probably most of the big stars will be um, will be there. And um, finally, you know, Aquaman, that's one of the big films dropping um, this week. And the first reviews have um, have come out uh, with forty six, yeah, forty six reviews counting. Um, film site sits on a seventy eight percent and a six point two out of ten on Rotten Tomatoes. Which is, um, yeah, means it's the second best film in the um, DC Universe. Which is, um, yeah, I mean, maybe it's worth going to see. Who knows? You know, it's the biggest film to date for them so far has been Wonder Woman. So, um, yeah. You know, it's interesting that this film has um, scored so high. Um, Like some of the reviews, okay, so Peter Deberge from Variety. The way this movie ends, that fish boy from the TV um, can clearly hold his own against any of his super friends. Um... Kenneth Turan, the Los Angeles Time, notwithstanding the inevitable, inevitable formulaic dialogue and the super abundance of boilerplate superhero action sequences, Aquaman turns out to be almost, despite itself, an engaging undersea extravaganza. And um, Rodrigo Perez from the playlist. James Wan has absolutely no taste. But he has a grand sense of scale. Which he leverages throughout the ludicrously insane but fun Aquaman to great effect. So, yeah. Reviews seem to be good. So, you know, Aquaman's gonna be hitting the cinemas this week. So, yeah, could be well worth a watch. Well, that's me for another week. Hope you've enjoyed it. Now, in the um, in the description of the episode, I'm going to have the information so you can find out when Tides will be showing um, and what cinemas it's going to be in. So, yeah, check that out. Check the film because it's great. And I will see you next week. Peace.